Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Today we're talking with Peter Helmus of the bands Algernon Cadwallader, Yankee Bluff, and You're the Best. And previously of Dogs on Acid, Mike Bell and the Movies, and honestly so many others. We talked about Pieball's 1997 album, When Life Hands You Lemons. We also talked about learning how to book bands by trial and error, and the relationship a creator has with their own art. Algernon Cadwallader reunited, and that's something I thought I'd never say. I've been good friends with Peter for well over 10 years, and with people moving on to other projects, families, and in Peter's case, moving across the country, I just didn't see the stars aligning. But here we are, and honestly, what an amazing thing to see. For knowing these guys for so long, I think this is the perfect time and it feels in the right spirit. Parts of this chat may seem like we're referencing another conversation, so please check out episode 57 with Evan Bernard of the Super Weeks. We talked about Peter's other band, Dogs on Acid, and about the breakup of Algernon, so it might fill in some holes. Alright, Algernon Cadwallader is on tour right now, so check out social media or their site, algernoncadwallader.com, for more information. Let's hope for more tours in the future, but like Peter says in the chat, wouldn't count on it, so buy a ticket to this one. All right, don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I, we listen to records we liked a lot when we were younger and revisit them as much older and jaded individuals. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Follow us on social media, Twitter and Instagram, at SpinningOutPod. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Leave a comment, and I hear reviews definitely help. Okay, let's chat with Peter. Hey, Peter, how's it going? Josh, it's going very well. I am feeling great. Just got out of the shower. So my body feels great. My mind feels great because I'm talking to my buddy, Josh. It's been a while since we've actually spoken in uh, audio terms. And uh, yeah, happy to be here. I'm trying to think like how long it might have been since i mean we've texted some but yeah. you've been pretty busy and like moving around actually it might be 2019 was like the last time or shit 2018 uh might be the last time we saw each other in person uh, too long it's crazy maybe and all too often now i'm like when i try to remember when i've seen people it's like numbers like that you know 20 teen i'm yeah. like what how is this possible this sucks <laughs> yeah like it's somebody said something about it being like I was like oh two years ago something and I was like what is that like 2016 or something no right Same and difference. then they're like like oh what the fuck yeah so I feel you on that yeah you look great I love the hair I well, thanks. love your voice you know I mean I can hear you anytime turn on your podcast and, you know great it's great to, it's great to to talk to you though. Yeah, well, we are talking about Piebald's album, When Life Hands You Lemons. Yeah, and that came out in 1997 on Hydrahead Records. And what I'll ask, the one question I really ask on this podcast. Ask it. When was the first time you listened to Piebald or this album? Oh, man, yeah. Let's see. It's like, I can remember... I can remember the CD. I mean, I still have, I still own the same copy of the CD that I had back in the day. I'm trying to think if I heard this one first or 
the they had like a kind of long ep short full length before this sometimes friends fight and i know i had that because it was in like a poly bag you know like very Mm -hmm. diy um but i'm not i'm not sure which one came first it would have been like you know late 90s or like right at the 2000 mark probably and um Mm -hmm. you know would have gotten it would have heard of it from like one of the kids in the hardcore scene in pennsylvania that i was hanging around like life once lost to stay forward that crew those dudes were always like passing us cds like oh listen to this listen to this oh you like this um you know so i can't tell you exactly when but i definitely remember you know disc man on the bus riding to high school this was like constant rotation you know um yeah so it would have been like yeah probably around 90 eight at the earliest and probably like 99 or 2000 at the latest. So somewhere in there between 98, 2000. Yeah. One thing I'm thinking about like with that era is like comparing it to now, it's weirdly enough that I feel like kids are just kind of into anything, but <laughs> at this time frame, it felt like it felt like there was like more of a pipeline to be like, to like a band like A Life Once Lost, but also like Piebald, when now I feel like everything's so segmented, and that's it seems confusing to say because I feel like kids are into everything, mm. but I feel like they're like, oh yeah, I'm into this, but I'm also into this. But in my head, it was all kind of like a soup, <laughs> you know, like is what it felt like. It was just in, and I know I'm kind of going forward into like even thinking about like your bands, it's like, to think of like your bands playing with hardcore bands or like what we came up with, it just kind of felt like that's what we were doing. There wasn't this defined idea of what each thing was. Yeah. I think it more boiled down to just like what spaces you were doing that stuff in, you know, like all those kinds of music kind of shared the same DIY space and like the piebald, you know, it's, it's like they were coming from the Boston hardcore scene. Like, you know, their peers were like converge and cave in, and stuff like that and their first record is like you know more of on the screamy emo vein you know like like the early 90s type emo um it sounds exactly like this on life hands you lemons is when they started adding like more pop elements and melodies with still some of like the heavier screamy stuff but like the kind of balance shifted a little bit so I think at that time, at least in the in the early days for me, it was like hardcore metal. That's what everybody's playing. But then also any other kind of music that was played by those same people in those bands. So it would be like usually like, oh, this dude from this hardcore band has like an emo side project or something like that. Yeah. So it'd be like, okay, that counts. We're you know, like <laughs> <laughs> something like that. I think yeah. that's how they kind of fit in. But, you know, I mean, it, back in, yeah, in that time, it was just kind of like they all just were were brought together with, with just being like DIY and like punks kind of scene, you know, so. Yeah, and whenever you, 
So were you going to like a Life Wants Lost shows or uh, what kind of music do you think you were into around the time you discovered this? Yeah, well, like the biggest thing actually happening like in the suburbs of Philadelphia and Yardley was like metalcore was huge. So it was like metalcore, yeah. um, metalcore, like more traditional hardcore. And, uh, you know, there were some out there were a couple outliers and stuff in the scene. Oh, and like pop punk, you know. Jersey pop punk. Yeah. And so like, that's what like the shows we're seeing mostly were. And then there was like, you know, definitely a screamo thing going on that did kind of, um, you know, kind of like melted a little bit. Like it got in that soup pot with everything else. Um, but, you know, I mean, at that age, I was like, I was probably getting more into like the heavier like metal and hardcore stuff and like just having you know come out of like maybe only listening to like pop punk and stuff like that like you know rancid no effects like fat records stuff like that um so when i got this yeah it was probably like more listening to hardcore than pop punk and then also kind of like you know listening to other stuff going on in like the the side spaces like there's you know some some indie rock would trickle in as long as it kind of had like you know very heavy feel to it yeah yeah i remember even thinking like a band like cursive was like a little too like not heavy enough yeah. for, for me and i was like confused of why they were touring with they, they did a tour with darkest hour and i was like <laughs> what you know and it was like probably years later till i really dug in and i'm like now in hindsight, I feel like I get it. Like, you know, cursive, you know, we're kind of like doing a Fugazi thing, even, you know, they went India as they went on, but it was like at that time frame, cursive made sense, you know, uh, but just kind of like drawing those like arbitrary lines there kind of just based on what you were kind of being told. And also like when I think about growing up in like metalcore myself, sometimes I like, I love that time frame. But I'm also like, I feel like I just kind of went where my friends were, you know, it's like, you just kind of go to what's going on. So it's Absolutely. like, it would have felt impossible for me to just be like, oh, I guess I only listen to Saddle Creek. Then it just would have felt like I had no friends or something, you know, mm -hmm. like you just kind of go to where your friends are. So it sounds to be kind of the same for you. Same. Yeah. And I think it's cool that like, I don't know, the kids, the older kids in that scene were, I think they were, you know, listening to different kinds of music and they were kind of passing that along to us too. So, you know, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, there's just, it just has to be like close enough sounding to what you're hearing all the time to be like, Oh, this band's kind of like that. You know, I feel like yeah. it's like sunny day real estate, like diary at the same time. I was like, Oh, this is like, feels like punk or something, but it's like, I don't know, kind of indie. So I'm like, maybe indie rocks. Okay. Yeah. You know, that was like yeah. allowed to pull in that direction. Yeah, I remember like metalcore bands. It was like one specific band called Glass Casket that I feel like uh, their bassist always wore a Sunny Day real estate shirt. Like it felt like every show I saw them at. Yeah. And he was the guy that also did like the clean singing parts in Glass Casket. So I was like, what's that band? You know, like yeah. that was, so it was just from like somebody's shirt. You, you know? know who else I'm thinking of now is a uh, boy sets fire was huge for me. And like, yeah, they yeah. had pure hardcore songs and then like, you know, their hardcore is like a little bit more screamo sort of feeling. And then just like, 
straight singing parts and emo and stuff like that. So that was kind of, <laughs> yeah, you know how that got introduced, like the softer, softer side of hardcore, you know, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, it's like, it felt like for some reason that fell, I know these are probably arbitrary lines that I drew myself. Cause it's like a kid understanding of like what I was being handed, but it did feel like people were handing things to me. Like this is okay to listen to. <laughs> but not this other thing that I didn't even know that existed, yeah. you know, but like, yeah. So boy sets fire being like heavy, then having singy parts. And mm-hmm. then like something like thrice was like sanctioned hot water, in a way. A lot of music that, that counted, you know, it was like, yeah, yeah. They were like, like screaming enough, but like screaming yeah. enough. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I think of it too. Like I'm happy that I was pretty open to, cause you know, it's pretty like, I didn't really try to cut off anyone in my younger years. Like I would talk to whoever and pretty much like every different kind of music that somebody gave me like early in that same time period too. I think eventually I came around to and started liking and listening to like, even when, you know, somebody handed me a pavement CD or like a microphone CD, like that was in that same time frame. I didn't care as much about it right away, but you know, I kept those CDs and eventually, I don't know, that became like more important to me, like in the long run. And I'm like, they're like all of that at like the same time, which is crazy. Just kind of takes, some things take longer to digest, you know? Yeah. There's like uh, things that when me and Sarah started dating early on, like there, she had like mixed CDs and she was definitely more into indie rock. Mm. And a lot of those bands, like, I feel like they have, they had a big impact on me. Like, let's say like five years later. And so I think in a sense, like she's like, you like hated this stuff when I played it. And then eventually it kind of like becomes, let's say it's like my favorite band or something. And she's like, still rubs me the wrong way because you were like, turn this off. You know, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess like going back to Piebald, uh, did you get to see them in this era? Uh, It wasn't not quite. It was a little bit later, like, not too much later. I mean, like probably like 2000, but I think they had come out with, uh, their, their EP. I think it was, oh wait, no, what came first? The EP rock revolution will not be televised or Venetian blinds. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, it was Venetian blinds was first. Venetian blinds came out. Sorry. I'm, they have a lot of releases. Yeah. So they have the Cave In Piebald. That was 96. So that's before When Life Hands You Lemons. Screaming. And then We're the Only Friends We Have. That's 2002. But uh, Venetian Blinds was 99. 99. Okay. I think that's like right about when I saw them. Uh, and I got to see them a few times. Like, I, you know, I love this band from the get go. And then, um, I mean, I'm trying to think of how many times I did see them back then. It might've only been a couple. Um, but I do remember, I think Venetian blinds coming out and we were all blown away by that because they got even, you know, more proficient, more pop, almost like more mm-hmm. rock. They started like, kind of like um, getting that whole rock and roll, almost like rock and roll, like satire sort of thing going, you know, like it kind of seemed like, a joke how rock and roll they were and just like tons of guitar music like thin lizzy style or something um so i love that too and that's around when i saw them i want to i don't know it was probably some 
space like the church or something like that. But I think maybe in like 2000, uh, me and my buddy Tom Trimble, uh, we actually booked a show for them at the Kill Time in West Philly, which was like a DIY warehouse. And he was mostly the one doing all the booking stuff. And I would kind of like help him make flyers and just kind of like be there for general help. But uh, I remember we were like so stoked that we were like booking a piebald show, you know, and then we didn't do a fantastic job um you know promoting or anything like that like it Mm -hmm. should have been like a well-attended show because they were you know they weren't like huge they weren't like um you know mainstream then or like we're the only friends that we have big even they were still like diy spaces but like i said i mean i think i saw them at the church before that and like with you know a few hundred people at least uh i would say i don't know our attendance was maybe between like 50 and 100 or something like that so it was super sick for us. And then I remember like him getting a call from their manager, like complaining about the attendance. And, um, you know, I don't know if he kind of like made Tom like pay them out of pocket or something like that. But it was kind of like a lesson learned, you know, we're like, oh, this would be so cool for us. <laughs> But like, yeah, you know, maybe like the band is band we love isn't super stoked that like, you know, we booked them to play at this like DIY space and then like, I don't know, didn't promote well enough or something. Yeah, I always I wonder like at that age, I'm not exactly sure how old you were, but like if I would have personally, if I would have had an understanding of what it would have even taken to promote a show that well, like I remember there was a time I booked some metalcore band from like Atlanta and essentially what happened it was like a tropical storm like hit like the the night of and so they pulled up in a bus and essentially the the venue got flooded there was just water coming under the door um and so he couldn't play and uh they were like well we need money (laughs) and i was like you didn't play a show i don't know what to tell (laughs) you and they were like but we drove a bus and I was like, I didn't tell you to drive a bus, you know, <laughs> but I was like 17 years old. I was like, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like no show equals no money, you know, like, and then I was like, Oh, <laughs> you know, it's like, Oh, there's things. That's where I learned that guarantees exist, you know, <laughs> like outside of just a uh, blues brothers out understanding of how to like how shows operate or something. You know? Totally. I so, mean, I think at that yeah. time, you know, I was like, it didn't even really fall on my shoulders. Cause uh you know tom was like a few a couple years older than me and um i don't know he kind of took that took that fall but you know i i think there was i I think there was probably some other times beyond that where like you know kind of got myself in that same boat where like uh i don't know just trying to put together like an awesome show that is awesome but uh you know, sometimes sometimes the general public doesn't know how awesome a show is and they don't all come out. And then you're like, you know, I learned actually not to not to really estimate how much money there's going to be like when there's no guarantee. Yeah. Like, don't be like, oh, I'll probably give you this much, you know, don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember with booking uh, Treasure Fest stuff, it was like essentially if I got hit up by a manager to play it, I would just pretty much like not book the band, which probably made me miss, miss out on some good bands that could have played it. But I, 
I feel like by that point I was like, ooh, I feel like that's where all the a lot of trouble uh, would stem from because they would be like, oh, can you sign this thing? And I'm like, well, I'm not, I'm not booking the band, you know, because I don't want to. Yeah, yeah, it's like they could have been the coolest band in the world. Like, uh, I remember it was it was stuff as simple as like, uh, world is a beautiful place. I didn't want to book them for Treasure Fest because I didn't want them taking up a whole line on the flyer. Like that's the level of booking. <laughs> and I, you know, it's like, well, that was a, that was a juvenile mistake, hey, dude. you know, You're at fast. that point. You're yeah. fast. You can do it. Yeah. <laughs> but I was like, they're going to take up two whole lines of this poster and I'm not having it. So you make the yeah. poster first and then you book the bands. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Huh. But, uh, so what do you feel like it was about this album that spoke to you in a way that maybe other things weren't at the time? Okay. So yeah, you know, I guess this question is like, why did I pick this album? And, um, yeah, you know, let me just, let me just start by saying, I think you asked me to do this podcast before it began or mm-hmm. even started doing it. And, uh, what was that a year or two years ago? Yeah. And, and now you're at a hundred episodes. You, you've surpassed a hundred episodes. <laughs> hundred. Yeah. hundred have aired. Yeah. yeah congratulations on that. Uh, it's wild. Yeah, you asked me about doing this podcast. I think I had, I might have, I think I just moved into the van. Because um, as I said earlier, maybe previous, before we started recording, I'd been living in a van for the past 22 months up until uh, like a few days ago, just moved into a house. And you asked me about doing this podcast and I was super stoked on it. And I had... I was driving, I think when you asked me, I was driving my van up to Mount Hood, right outside of Portland. And uh, I was just going to go park there and camp for a few days in the snow. And I had just gotten these snowshoes off the Craigslist for 20 bucks. I was really stoked on going to explore the beautiful Mount Hood wilderness in the snow. And I was trying to think of what album I would do. And I thought of like, you know, there's a handful that I could say were like super important and influential. And, um, you know, this one was definitely on like the short list. And as I was out there snowshoeing, I just kind of, I was also on a good, a good portion of mushrooms at the time. And, um, I don't know, I couldn't get this album out of my head. It's one of these albums. that's like so important to me that I barely ever listened to it because it's all up mm-hmm. here. Like I can, I can just think of the song, you know, I like, I listened to it right before we got on the phone actually for like the first time in a yeah. while. And I was like, Oh yeah, this record still slaps. Um, but basically on that journey that I had, uh, I did this whole podcast just to myself or I was, <laughs> I mean, Wendell, the dog was with me too. So I was talking to okay. Wendell and he wasn't as chatty as you, but, um, Mm-hmm. pretty much went through like this whole podcast of why this album is so important to me and why it rules so much at that moment. And then we didn't talk about it for like a year <laughs> or, and now here we are. And like, I don't know, I'm pretty sure I had the best things to say about it ever back then. Yeah. Now I'm going to have to like come up with it all over again and just wing it. But, uh, you know, 
it's one of those albums that, like I said, like, you know, I don't even have to listen to it because it's that ingrained in my head. I think, I think it has the most unique like song structures, uh, super unique time signatures. The recording is like the perfect amount shitty. Like it's that like yeah. undeniable like 90s just like that's what you wanted everything to sound like anything that sounded better than this record you'd be like oh this is like sellout stuff you know and yeah i think this sounds better than frame and canvas sorry to cut you off it's like i think it's like it's like that because that is so important that like that i it's hard to land on you either just straight up get a shitty record mm-hmm. or you get like classic and they wouldn't know at this point but it's like just that it's it's what i've been searching for years yeah and overall, I don't think people, probably rightfully so, don't really care about trying to land on this thing. But in my head, when I make an album, like I'm like, if it lands somewhere in this vicinity, I'm cool with it. But it's a hard thing to land on. It's a, I mean, it's it's the magic, is what it is. It's like there's magic there. The performance is fantastic, you know, like the drummer just like super on, and that's what keeps it tight and keeps it moving the whole time. The guitars, bass maybe slightly out of tune sometimes and it's just like the most charming thing same with like mm-hmm. travis's voice you know like so quirky and uh but like he can hit notes like all over the place his register is insane and dude, the package is just like for me it's like every single song is so interesting you know like even the intros some of them have like 30 second intros that have like four different parts in it and then like the song starts um so and yeah you know it's just everything about it is so catchy and so like original and unique and like you can kind of sort of hear influences like maybe not directly but like you can kind of tell that these guys had played hardcore at some point and you could also i don't know kind of tell that they were into i don't know that the mid 90s like emo that was happening then um i think it's important to me because it just, it doesn't, it didn't seem like it was catering to any fans, you know, it didn't seem like they were trying to make this music for people that like this kind of music because it's like, I don't know. So original. It's like, it's weird emo. It's weird. Hardcore. It's. uh, Yeah. All of it all at once. Yeah. yeah. It's like when, if I, if we kind of compare it to, let's say boy sets fire, since we were talking about that. In that type of band, or like Thrice, as much as I like them, there is a point where it's like, this is the part for like hardcore dudes, or this is the part for like any rock emo kind of person. But it's like, when you get a band like Piebald or that kind of synthesis there, you feel like they're kind of just putting it all in a blender. And another thing that I think of is like when bands start using kind of like, say like Lemonheads, when they start doing like kind of alt-country vibes. Mm. But they, when bands don't like lean completely into it, yeah. they let you know it's there, but they're not like completely just like this is all this is. Because I think sometimes that's when certain bands kind of go off the rails, yeah, and become less interesting when they fully kind of like embrace what they think they want to head to, and it's like when it kind of just going there by accident, that's like a good feeling. It's like yeah, you know? the authenticity of it, you know. It's like, yeah. like oh, we're gonna play this style of music it's like we're gonna play our music but we also listen to this you know 
Yeah. That's just in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, all those things like this band and then like this record specifically has influenced my playing so much, you know, like the, the band, our, our first band that all the Algernon guys were in halfway to Holland. It was like, you know, our high school pop mm-hmm. punk band. I would say it was like 50% piebald, 50% man without plan who is a band probably not many people have heard of, but incredible uh, tri-state area pop-punk hardcore band. Um, you know, this is like exactly like what we were striving for. And even yeah. into like moving into like Algernon stuff, like when I was just listening to this about an hour ago, I'm like, damn, like the, the bass does so much to like change the melody structures of the chords and stuff like that. And you know, I think that's where I kind of got that for Algernon. Like these dudes would be playing stuff on guitar and I'd be like, all right, how can I make this different than like what they're already making, you know, and add like even more depth. And I feel like this record does that. So I feel like it, like, this is like kind of where I learned how to play bass. And then it was also kind of where I learned how to play guitar for like halfway to Holland, like not a lot of full chords. Like there's just a lot of like, you know, more of the higher strings making, uh, making like chords and then having like the bass fill in the rest. I feel like you hear a lot of that and the, and some of the leads too. I mean, like this band is like, or this record, it's like some of this, some of the parts, some of the guitar leads would be like pop punk leads if Mm -hmm. the music was like more straightforward or something like that. But it's like, they worked it all in, you know? So I just think, I don't know. It's one of those records that subconsciously or not has just like informed my music playing so much yeah and where was man without plan from they're from westchester new york originally and then um yeah i'm not sure if they moved around as a band but they're from out of there and then barclay moved to new york like brooklyn and i think they still operated as a band they actually man without plan is still a band it's now Barclay yeah. playing everything and the music has gotten insane and it still is incredible, but it's, it's taken on like a whole nother, a whole nother form at this point. But um, yeah, they operated out of like Brooklyn for a while too. And like changed some members, like they had some members from like I farm and stuff like that. And, uh, and like, uh, you know, Jared from like no more black played drums for a while. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They, 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 anytime, I feel like actually the most of the times I've heard Man Without Plan is like on the road with you I'm, or I'm like sorry. around you. <laughs> yeah. So, so it's like, and they always felt like, uh, it was like, oh, I guess this is like a regional version of No Means No. Ooh, okay. Is what they kind of felt like to me. I feel, uh, for yeah. me, it was, because um, uh, I feel like they, I mean, Barclay loves like hardcore and metal, but his band was pop punk. And I feel like that's kind of what Halfway to Holland was. We're like, we're a pop punk band, but like, we just like also inherently had these like metalcore, like chuggy parts. But all of our chords that we were like, you know, palm beating and stuff, they were super thick and melodic. And uh, that's that's mostly derivative of Man Without Plan. Yeah. What also I found funny, uh, kind of knowing how much Pieball influence you over the years is back back in the day i felt like whenever i heard anyone talk about algernon um 
people would say Captain Jazz. Mm-hmm. And then then it's like when I re-listen to this record, I'm like, do you ever get compared to Pieball? Does did Algernon? Never. Never once. That's the weird thing. What's I feel like it's people? like I I wouldn't hear that dropped and I'm like, there's so much on this record that is the influence. I say that because like same thing has happened with like late bloomer. It's like mm. Like people have been like Dinosaur Jr. And I'm like, yeah, but if you could understand the other bands that I am clearly ripping off way more, <laughs> you know, like that's the one like that's more appropriate. But no one ever says it, you know, like that's what I felt like with with y'all. Yeah. I mean, I think this record is kind of over. Like, I don't think most people when they think of Pieball, they think of this record. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people think of we're the only friends that we have or Venetian Blinds, which are both great records too, but you know, this one just hit at a certain time for me. And, um, yeah. uh, you know, I mean like the cabin jazz comparison, it was like both obvious, but like, I don't know. I never thought it was the most astute, you know, like I just feel like cabin jazz had way more of like a wild art rock noise thing going. I feel like, I don't know. We had, we, we were we were with them like much more in spirit than we were in sound i mean mm-hmm. you know the singing screaming thing like pretty derivative of like cap and jazz but you know i think if we could have been cap and jazz we would have but like you know it's just you can't you can't do that you can't recreate that and you know it's not what really we're trying to do we're just uh super into that band and how they were their own band so yeah, that's an interesting thing. I feel like there's a lot of times I feel like I'm influenced by something, but coming from like a model of like Discord or SST, like growing up, I feel like the thought was, the point was not to really be that band. Like, you know, it's like you hear the stories of like Husker Du did their double album, so Minutemen, but it's like Minutemen didn't go, oh, now we need to sound like Husker Du. Hmm. We just do our own version of that, you know? And, you know, it's like you may be influenced, but it's, sonically no yeah the best the best music happens when it's just you know kind of what comes out if you can just sort of stay out of your own way a little you know be comfortable with the people you're making music with and just kind of like let that happen sometimes easier said than done but you know i feel like those are the records that are the most memorable yeah i think when you kind of figure out what your thing is as a songwriter uh i feel a purpose for me personally for the last two years, I feel like I've been in my head, like, who am I as a songwriter type thing? Uh, or even the, am I a songwriter at all kind of deal? You know, but it's like, really, truly, if you can get to the point of like, I say getting back to the basics, but kind of just like you said, getting out of your way, I feel like that's when things start flowing more for me. Like, you know, your own patterns as a songwriter. So yes, it's good to like learn. Maybe some days I'll sit down and be like, oh, I guess I need to learn like a reggae bass line so I can, you know, make my bass playing better. But sometimes it's like, well, I, I use this chord a lot because I like it. You know? <laughs> and you just kind of got to accept it sometimes. But that's hard to do. It's hard to do. But I, I agree. I mean, like, you know, you can always, yeah, you can always grow and learn new things. And you know, incorporate that stuff. But at the end of the day, if you're like trying to force something to sound a certain way, like, of course, it's going to sound forced, you know, I mean, like, I think you, uh, yeah, so like, the band I started in Portland uh, was with 
you know, some friends that I met at protest here in 2020 and 21. And that band kind of started as uh, more of like a friendly, um, I don't know, just getting together with their friends and, you know, who play instruments, but have never been in a band. I was like, oh, I can, you know, like, I know how to be in a band. I'll show you how to write songs and we'll, we'll just start a band. Let's just do it. And um, so, you know, there's like a lot of like mentorship there and, you know, I'm not a guitar teacher or anything like that, or really any sort of songwriting teacher or anything like that, but I know how to do it. So I can tell people how to do it. And um, I feel like along the way, I kind of like learned a lot about my own playing and um, you know, some things that are hard to explain too. Cause you know, I, like I said, I'm not a guitar teacher, so I can't like be like, here, play these scales and whatnot. Or like, I'm just like, this is a chord you could do. I'm like, oh, sometimes these chords sound good together. Or like, if you do them like this, like that's a thing. And, uh, you know, I think I kind of noticed some of my own uh, songwriting and like instrument playing, you know, classic go-to motifs that I have or whatever. And uh, it was kind of interesting to me. It was like, you know, that's, that's kind of something cool that I got out of the whole process was just, uh, you know, finding out some, some musical things about myself that I didn't even know were like the way that I played music, you know? Yeah. And I guess like thinking about Piebald, are there bits of their music that you feel like you can pinpoint that you like picked up from them or is it okay? Cause sometimes when I'm too close to something, I feel like I don't even know like if I were to have to talk about, let's say like Operation Ivy or something, it gets kind of hard because it's just you, you listen to it at such a young age. You're like, I, I don't know. You listen to it before the point of like learning how to like criticize things, uh, be a music critic. So it's like, it's not even, it's so emotional tied to it. It's like, I don't know if I could tell you why I like it. Yeah. You're just like you know? skateboarding, punks, friends. <laughs> yeah. So do you feel like there it kind of hits you sometimes when you're talking about this album and like when it comes out of you in songwriting? I mean, I think at this point it's just like so ingrained that like even I wouldn't like really think about it. I think it's like that stuff's mm -hmm. just there. Like I said earlier about like, you know, the guitar playing and the bass playing, like the way the guitar and bass work together. I think that's just how I both think about playing guitar and how I think about playing bass, which is like, you know, those two elements can make really intricate chords together. That's like really a sum of their parts, you know, like if you like, we're just had the bass parts on these, some of these tracks, you know, it might sound completely different than like when you add the guitars. I think there's just like a lot of like, really, I don't know intelligent kind of like depth to the melodies and stuff on this record. And um, yeah, it's like nothing that I think about, um, you know, nothing that I think about like while I'm making music now, but I think it's the stuff that's just there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And in terms of like that recording, <laughs> I, we were talking about it a few minutes ago. It's like, yeah. how would you even land on this type of recording if you tried? Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you'd probably have to like 
get all period specific, uh, you know, recording equipment and stuff like that. I mean, I wonder, yeah, I wonder how much of it is live, like how many takes they did, you know, they weren't probably doing, you know, more than two or three takes for, even if they were tracking stuff, you know, it just feels like it's like a live, it feels like a raw band, you know, especially with all those like, you know, crazy beats and everything like that. I feel like they had to have done it live. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, I feel like you can overwork, like, you know, recording, I've been super interested in recording for such a long time. I think it's super important to like how music feels. And I don't know, I think you can definitely overwork a recording, you know, especially nowadays with like all like the plugins and everything out there and, some people are really good at it and like they can use all that stuff and then the end product is fucking amazing, you know, but I feel yeah. like a lot of times, I don't know, there's all this stuff to throw on there and you kind of, I don't know if you kind of like plan on throwing all that stuff on at the beginning. So like you're not really trying as hard when you're getting sounds or when you're performing and you're like, Oh, we'll just throw all this stuff in at the end and like nudge things here or there. And, um, you know, even if even if maybe like that kind of recording turns out to sonically like hit your speakers better i think it still doesn't make as enjoyable of a record as maybe this one does like maybe this one doesn't bump as hard like in your car or wherever but like it's got that magic you know where everything is just glued together and like i don't know you feel it like there's something like I don't know, mysterious, almost like kind of like scary in this recording, you know, because it just sounds like they were so on to something and like all thinking the same way. And they're just like, yeah, this is the type of music we want to make. And you're like, this is weird ass music. <laughs> and you guys are so <laughs> earnest about yeah. it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and I think I probably bring this up like every episode, but I think about the idea of like, whenever the industry just decided like, oh, everything has to be to a click you know like and it's and like this era of records it's like it's not and i feel like there's like a different feel and i think like current records can kind of like trick me into not thinking about how on the grid everything is and then i think that's a success but i feel like there's so many times where i feel like it's almost like i'm thinking about how in time everything is and i can barely like enjoy a record <laughs> because it all feels so synthesized in a way and i don't know if that's maybe that's just straight up like old man stuff that i'm like saying you know but i i feel like there's a different feeling that this record has and records like this do that you can't reproduce and people don't do it this way anymore <laughs> that's where i sound old no i mean yeah you're definitely right and i you know this is 97 so like this is when you know you could say like even like indie rock was at its like loosest you know like mm -hmm like maybe all the music came out of there. I mean, like galaxy 500, like super loose. My nineties stuff was like super loose, which I think that's the stuff like you're saying, it like draws you in. You're like, Oh, this is a real band doing this. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the imperfections, you know, are more informative to the overall feel of like the recording than, than just like, you know, lining everything up, you know. Yeah. Like no one would, no one would sit there and be like, Oh, I want to sing like the guy in this band, you know, but it's like he did. That's just how he sang, you know? 
And mm-hmm. I feel like those kind of things where, like, even in, like, old country, let's always use, like, Chris Christopherson as an example. Like, I think if he could sing a different way, mm. he would have done it. But that's just, like, how we sang, you know? And then, then they gave those songs to, like, let's say Johnny Cash or whoever down the line, and people were like, oh, that's the thing. But, like, to kind of hear somebody do something and kind of struggle at it for me, like struggle at it in a way, like always feels right to me. Like I like hearing that struggle and things um, like, and I don't even know if that, that might sound rude. Like if this guy hears it, he goes, you know, <laughs> like what? You know, But that I'm saying it as a compliment. For sure. You know? No, I mean, for me, like my favorite singers are ones that like, you know, don't really fit the, fit the same scheme of, of being, you know, just like well-trained or anything like that. But so they all have like their quirks, but it's like the confidence, I think the confidence in delivery is what makes it so great. You know, like if they sound like they don't have a hesitation in the world on how they sound, I think it's like the best thing ever, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I could think of, like, so many examples, but I wonder if some of these people even realize they're that type of singer. I feel like maybe they have to, or (laughs) this guy can't have gone this long into his career as a, you know, singer and not realize that. Or maybe, if you're hearing this for the first time, um, I'm blanking on his name. I apologize. Yeah, Travis. Yeah. What's up, Travis? Yeah, Travis. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Have you been able to meet anyone in this band? Yeah, we uh, so we did play a show with them like early on in Algernon's career. Um, I think it was at like St. Joe's University in Philadelphia, and uh, yeah, I you know I think the the people who were booking that show, you know, it was like school run organization, so it's like you know they had money to to pay bands like Pieball to come in, and then I think I forget who was booking them if we were friends with them or if they were just like, you know, they had heard of us and yeah, we got to open for them. I think we were like, you know, super excited, like drunk stoner, like band then. And we're probably like really weird to them. I remember like not hanging out with them too much. Like we were almost like probably like a little bit off-putting to them. Um, but you know, all that said, I think they were, they were, you know, they were polite and everything like that. Um, yeah, I feel like, yeah, there might've been, there might've been like us just like helping, helping ourselves to like their pizza too, or something like that, which might've like rubbed them the wrong way. You know, I was probably, I was probably there being like, Oh, remember that show I booked for you. And then, you know, you didn't get paid. Um, I did mention at the top that Hydrahead Records put this out, but I saw like on Spotify, it says, uh, chain letter collective. Do you know what that is? Oh, I have no idea. I mean, like, yeah, yeah. one of the things I love about this record is that it was, a, you know, on Hydrahead cause I don't think they were yeah. doing much besides like hardcore and metal. Yeah. And when I think of Hydrahead, I just think of like ISIS yeah. records and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, it's probably just like they got the rights. Back Do you know, you just, know what chain letter? No, I, I really don't know what like the, I would like to know. So if maybe anyone listening to this, if you know what chain letter collective and maybe there's a story behind it, it could be as simple as like he had to, you know, let's say Travis had to type something in when he was submitting it on his own. That might be the whole story. Yeah. I was looking up this record on 
internet a little bit before the call too. And uh, um, I think, yeah, also the, the LP pressing of this is like super rare, which makes me really want it. If anyone's listening to this and wants to give me a copy of this LP, I feel like there was like yeah. a thousand ever made, which is pr- kind of wild mm. for a piebald record, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like, so in the way, do you feel like they're like underrated as a band still? Or how, how do you feel like, do you feel like you hear anyone talk about piebald? Yeah, I do. I mean, I feel like it's like, I feel like they're kind of like a musician band, you know, like where like people in bands listen to piebald and I don't know, people who are, I feel like they have a lot of fans from, you know, like the early 2000s and stuff like that. Like we're the only friends that we have. Um, <clears throat> that's the people who I hear talk about piebald the most. I mean, they're playing fest. We're, we'll be playing fest mm-hmm. together. Um, I think their their name's pretty big on that poster. But then again, it's a short name, you know, it's it's perfect for a for a festival poster. Yeah, um, yeah. not a whole lot. <laughs> but they might even be playing like two sets. So I mean to me, you know, piebald is piebald. They're fucking kings, you know. Um, I don't know. I have no idea how big they are. They're definitely not as big as they should be. Yeah, and that's like ultimately what I feel like I mean. It's like there seems to be a point where I feel like I couldn't get away from, uh, you know, the hey, you're part of it song. Mm-hmm. And then like it's like, but people yeah. under a certain age, you know, I don't know if I feel like people under 25 were really talking about piebald. I saw a mural. There's a mural here in Portland uh, says, hey, you're part of it. That's, yeah. what, that's what I got for you. They got they got their own, they got their own mural. They got their I don't own know mural. If people uh, are recognizing that reference though or not? Do you think it's directly referencing that, or if it's just like a I don't know that's kind of general? I mean, like that's that's something to talk about. Like um, Travis is uh, kind of like references, lyrical references uh, throughout like Pieball's entire career. I feel like a lot of his lyrics are are quotes. Uh, like literary quotes or direct quotes from like other songs, uh, which I always found like pretty interesting. Um, so I don't know. It's quite possible that that is actually like uh, a, a referencing another pop culture uh, lyric or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, I think like a lot of times in kind of pop songwriting, it's like, if you can twist a way of you use a phrase that you feel like people use every day, but are able to like twist it into a new thing is a thought of, but it's like even thinking of them, like trying to approach things as like pop songwriting is kind of funny with like how all over the place this is, but it's like, they are doing that. So I think that's probably what it is. It's like, you kind of just go with a phrase that you think everyone knows and you kind of, use that to your advantage you know it's like i think uh david lee roth said something about like dancing in the street like them covering it and he was like well it was already a hit so we're halfway there so why not yeah hmm. yeah 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 no i mean like yeah i think it's cool i think it's cool to reference um referencing like other songs in songs i mean speaking of piebald being like you know a musician's band like uh, I mean, I don't know if that's true. It's just kind of something I'm, I'm, 
I'm guessing. But, you know, I feel like people that listen to Pieball are our big music heads and they have like a wealth of music knowledge. And then a band like Pieball can kind of just like, you know, throw out these little these little hints about other stuff they're into. And uh, it seems like the type of fans that would enjoy that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so if you had to pick one song to cut from this record, what do you think it would uh, be? One song to cut. Man, I mean, there's like the, uh, you know, maybe the obvious one. I don't know if this is obvious. There's like the piano one. Mm-hmm. The little piano kind of like little piece that as just being that one outlier in this album where that just sits there, like I love it. But I don't know. I think if I, if if that was the one song that wasn't on this record and I could have the rest of them, I'd probably just say that just to just to not have to cut any of the other ones, honestly. Like, I love yeah. that it's there yeah. and I love the way it sounds and it's just like this amazing super lo-fi sounding piano ditty but uh you know i think it's also offering itself as as the one to get cut yeah i mean truly with it being a 36 minute long record it doesn't really need anything cut because uh, i feel like it it goes by pretty quick to that point uh it, it changes so quickly like from song to song like there's always something interesting going on. It's one of the things I love about it is that, you know, it does, it just flies by. Like there's not a lot of like, you know, repeating verses and choruses and stuff like that. It's, it's just like, Oh, what's happening now? What's happening now? And then it's over. Yeah. So we have, we've talked for about an hour and I guess like this goes into the part where we start promoting things and you have a tour coming up. Uh, probably by the time people are listening to it, you might be in the middle of the tour with how I schedule things. Um, so if I can ask, like, what do you feel like brought Algernon back together? Oh my God. It was, uh, you know, pretty much the fact that just people are still listening to the band. Like, um, you know, in 2018, I think Aaron records and Asian Mm -hmm. man records reissued like all of our albums uh and also got all of our music like up on the streaming platforms and all that stuff too because before that they weren't and um i don't know i think that just made it more accessible for people to continue listening to yeah what it boils down to is just that people still wanted it and that that kind of lined up with us all being game for doing it again finally you know like I feel yeah. like I was kind of the, the longest holdout of because you know people have been asking almost since we like broke up, you know, if we're gonna come back into a reunion or like you know, you should play this festival or something like that. And we're like, I think I was kind of like the longest holdout of, of people who were like, uh, like not yet, it feels too soon, you know, didn't want it to be ingenuine, didn't want us to like not want to do it and just do it for whatever reason. So yeah, all those things lined up and then it's 10 years later, we're all stoked about it. And there's still a bunch of people, maybe even more people that want to see us. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've seen people and it's been weird to witness. Cause I feel like it's like, I think the first time I saw Algernon was 
at Silent Barn in Brooklyn. Mm. And it was like, uh, I, I can't remember who else played, <laughs> but but it feels like it would have been like Bridge and Tunnel. I, it wasn't Bridge and Tunnel, but it might have been, I think it was someone in Bridge and Tunnel's other band. Oh, uh, each other? I want to say, yes, oh that's what it was. Oh, that yeah. band. Yeah. So that was the first time I saw you, I believe. Um, and it's it's been interesting through the years like then like seeing people let's say on like twitter having like uh like basically a lyric of y'all's is like you know their their name on twitter and then it's like but these are like my friends you know yeah. it's it's strange i feel like whenever you see a band that you're friends with like people kind of like put it on a pedestal in a way that sometimes honestly makes it awkward. I'm kind of speaking for myself, so you don't have to like really chime in because I know this can be a weird thing that I'm bringing up. Is that, and we might have talked about it on an Evans episode, is that it kind of bummed me out when Dogs on Acid came around that I felt like no matter what show I saw y'all at, you almost felt like there was a kid there being like, when's the Algernon reunion? And it was kind of a bummer because it's like, I like when bands i mean i was gonna say i like when bands break up but i think it's interesting when people move on to their next project and kind of like see how they're kind of a different person in themselves or just how it's different with it so i know a lot of this is just me speaking at you uh but when i would hear that you know that you had trepidations of like reuniting in a way when dogs on acid was happening i was kind of like good you know, like people need to like Dogs on Acid. Like this is a good band. This is as good as Algernon. Uh, so with looking back on that, do you think that, does it make the Dogs on Acid years feel weird or do you feel like you have enough distance on it? Or did any of that make sense? Yeah, no. I mean, first of all, let me start by saying, yeah, to to you and Evan, uh, listening to that episode was was very very sweet and and like brought tears to my eyes because you guys are so sweet on there and um yeah you know i mean i hear you like that that was three-fourths of the original algernon lineup like you know including like the original drummer like it was like almost like more algernon than like later yeah. on you know what i mean um but, yeah. you know, we did want to, like, change our music style. And, like, that was part of, like, the, the like the full decision to make the break and, like, totally break up was, was that we did want to, like, I don't know, not be, you know, possibly pigeonholed or anything like that. And we're like, let's just start it with a new name, you know? Um, and, you know, I feel like for the most part, like, yeah, there was some of that, you know? It's like, you know, immediately you know, there wouldn't be like as many people at shows, you know, but for the most part, I feel like, uh, I don't know, maybe we were just like so stoked to be like playing something different. Like I, I loved being in that band and, um, you know, play some different music that just like hit in a different way and like at a different tempo and stuff like that. Like it felt like so refreshing and so good to like, just change it up. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, like, I didn't feel too much, too much of that, like, oh, everybody's going to wish this was Algernon. Because I think we were just so happy to be, like, doing something different at the time, you know? So I guess some of that even extended into, like, 
Yankee Bluff as well, because then that sort of splintered then from, you know, dogs into Yankee Bluff. And, but I, I'm thinking of a tour that I went on with y'all that I mentioned earlier. Uh, it was a Mike Bell in the Movies tour. And then there was a couple like Algernon shows, kind of like as we got into Florida. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was interesting, like, kind of like seeing tour from that perspective and also like seeing you in an element where it wasn't like your band per se, if you understand what I mean. Right. And it, it was awesome because like of how like happy you were almost like, like if Mike Bell didn't get paid for a night, you know, I don't think that actually happened, but let's say it didn't, it felt like you were happy. You were, you were happy to experience it. <laughs> Because it like wasn't out or not, and I know I'm uh, putting a lot on you, but that's what like it felt like in the moment, and it was like such a joy to see. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean it's always been I've always been like part of many musical projects at at one time, you know, and um, I don't know. I think it's a good way to kind of have your like artistic output. Um, I don't like the variety. Variety is everything. You know what I mean? And like. For sure, I was stoked to not be like, you know, front and center at, on, on stage, you know, and just like be like, oh, I'm just going to like play the bass over here and like be the backbone, you know, like, oh, I love to like changing it up and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like just being like, I'm just in the back of this van that has no windows, you know, <laughs> Yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, like it's like everything doesn't live or die by me. You know, it's like if you get a flat tire, like I'll help you change it. But man, it sucks for you, Mike. Yeah. You know, um, I, I get it now all these years later, like kind of like because I feel like if if I play a show and not a lot of people show up, it feels like some representation of me, <laughs> you know, but I feel like if I were to just like play guitar for someone's band and I, and I feel like it's not my band, I'm like, man, that sucks for you, dude. Uh, you know, and you just like kind of continue on. So uh, I get to play guitar, did, you know? Yeah. Did Algernon like feel like that for you? Like. Uh, and I kind of have two questions going on there. I guess we'll answer that first one. Oh, wait. Did it feel like that for me? Um, yeah, like everything, like a lot. Of, I know it wasn't just you, but did you feel like a lot of things were kind of like put on your back? Is that? Well, I mean, you know, I was like the guy up front on the mic, you know, so it's like, yeah. yeah, it's like everyone's looking at me and, you know, got to talk in between songs and do all that whole thing. Um, as far as like, you know our band like as like a working band and stuff like that i mean like you know we were putting out all our own records and mailing them all out and printing our own shirts like we were already doing everything so like you know i think in in both ways like when everything was working out super well we were like fuck yeah we're doing a great job or if like something didn't do so well we'd be like oh we're like slipping a little bit you know just yeah. not a bad way to be i mean you got no one else to blame then and um but it's like it's a lot of work too like you know being being involved in every single like facet of this of this like entity you know yeah and i i think like what i was getting at earlier and hopefully i can articulate it is sometimes it kind of felt like it was almost like the identity that algernon was and this happens with a lot of bands. It's almost like it gets stripped from them in a way. Like when people start having their own relationship with it, as they do with art, you know, it's like, it's, I, I guess for me looking at it, I was like, but this is my friend's band. Like, 
you know, they'd be like, oh, the way that people I feel like will will talk about certain bands, and it doesn't really have to be about y'all, sometimes gets a little strange because I feel like, and the reason I brought up that Silent Barn thing is when I was there at that show that night and the best nights of like whatever scene we're a part of, probably the best nights of any like piebald show or whatever back in the day is, I feel like I was just going to quote that piebald, we're part of it, but it's like, it's like we're all in this together. And then so whenever like I see someone be like, oh, I, you know, kind of like take the relationship away from the band. I'm like, but that's not the reason we came together to do this this way. You know, like, so it gets a little strange. Like we start and I don't know if that's just me looking at it from like, like you were saying, like the guy from a life once lost would like hand you burn CDs or something. And that's, that's my recollection of things. But I guess kids are coming in from a different angle where they're like, they like Radiohead first and then they liked Algernon. And then, so it's like, you know, it kind of, that rock star element starts happening and I know none of y'all ever did that. You know, I, I feel like anytime I went to Philly, like I didn't feel out of place. And so to see like people kind of like put you all on a pedestal that it feels like they're not even actually putting you on the pedestal, right. <laughs> like put, sure, put Peter on the, put, put Tank on the pedestal, you know, yeah. but like people start, start putting like a relationship that feels like it even takes the band people out of it and it becomes like an entity away from the people that it even involved well you know i mean i you know i don't know how much of that i actually am seeing you know um like you know obviously yeah i've seen like a bunch of kids post stuff um you know whether it be like quotes or tattoos and stuff like that um but like yeah i don't know i mean as far as like them being removed from us. I feel like a lot of these kids are probably kids that weren't around when we were around. So like that that already is like one degree of, of being removed. Um, Yeah. So, you know, maybe they just don't know us yet. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's, I think that's the thing where I project myself on to you, but through them is this like, if you knew Peter or if you knew any of these people in this band, you would just talk about them like they're normal people that you can be friends with today yeah. because that's what I know. But they, they don't have that relationship. I don't know. Not yeah, We're going to, yeah. not until another month from now, or, or I guess when this airs, yeah. maybe they will. Yeah. Maybe half the people now have talked to me. Yeah. That, that like uh <laughs> warehouse breakfast is going to get a little bit more complicated. Oh yeah. Uh, playing the shows that y'all are playing. We're gonna, um, you a, know. Lot, a lot more eggs. <laughs> a lot more eggs. Um, and hopefully, like I said, I, I think I'm putting myself a lot in that, but that's like the best moments of like going to a silent barn show or like really any city. Uh, cause I didn't live in Brooklyn, but it's like, mm-hmm. those were the best nights, you know, like some like Philly warehouse or something. And, you know, and I hope people like have, I'm, I'm probably too old to kind of experience those things like in real time, <laughs> you know? So I hope, I hope kids are having their own version of that and i assume they are for sure. um but that's like the best parts probably for you like looking back at you know liking piebald or you know like though you had though you didn't meet their guarantee i bet it was like one of the best shows of your life at that point yeah incredible um it's it's different for everybody like for them maybe that was just their you know humble beginnings you know 
But like for, like you said, like that's, yeah, one of the best shows I've ever seen was that show. And it felt like, you know, super unique to, or super, like, we're super lucky to have such an intimate performance, you know, of this band that was just fucking crushing it and, you know, writing the coolest songs ever. So like we said, you have the tour coming up. Um, Do you know those specific dates, I guess, if we want to promote them now or anything else? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Algernon, that's the big thing, you know, Algernon Cadwallader is back. We're going on tour. First time in 10 years. Uh, the first show is, is October 14th. We'll be headed down the East Coast, ending at the Fest on Halloween weekend. And then picking back up a week later on the West Coast, starting in Seattle and working our way down to L.A. Uh, yeah, tickets are at algernoncatwallader.com. And... You know, if you've ever wondered what it's like to be at an Algernon show, this is your chance and this might be the only chance you ever get. So coming out and make it fun because we're stoked to have fun with everybody, too. Welcome back. Thanks again to Peter for coming on the pod. Seriously, one of the best dudes. As you probably heard, go catch Algernon Cadwallader on their reunion tour. You really don't want to miss out. And for the label plug, go check out their full catalog through Lauren Records. Go listen to Dogs on Acid and Yankee Bluff. Mention it real quick at the top of the episode, but check out Pete's new band, You're the Best. And lastly, check out his radio show, Sight Unseen FM. Okay, next week, we got a big one. We're talking with Art Alexakis of the band Everclear. Yeah, you heard me right. Pure insanity. More on that next week. Once again... Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. You can subscribe for as little as $1 a month or more, and you'll get an exclusive episode every week. Every dollar helps us pay hosting fees and all of that back-end stuff, so it's sincerely appreciated. Follow us on social media, Twitter, and Instagram, at spinningoutpod. Reviews definitely help. Thanks, as always, to Sarah Blumenthal for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Okay, see you next week.